What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler here in the Vivid Seat Studio, and joining me on the other end of the line, again with his new and improved recording equipment, is my longtime co-host, Curtis. And we are back today to run through part two of our week five mailbag. Charlie helped me out with part one uh, earlier in the week, and on that show, we got through about 15 or so of your questions and comments but that wasn't even close to everything that was sent in. So we have another 15 plus questions and comments to get to today that Curtis and I are going to do our very best to answer. We do also want to remind everyone out there that is still listening to us on SoundCloud or Podbean. First off, we very much appreciate your support and want you to continue listening. But this is the very last week that you're going to be able to listen to our podcast on SoundCloud or Podbean. Our new partners at Overtime Media, they very kindly allowed us to continue to post to those platforms this week. We're actually supposed to cut it off at the end of last week, but we asked for an extension for one more week uh, because we wanted to make sure we could that we caught everyone out there that might have missed the announcement last week. We want to make sure that we caught you guys, even though we're actually going live with Overtime Media this week. But moving forward, after this week, like officially after this week, our podcast will no longer be found on SoundCloud or Podbean. This was just part of our deal with Overtime Media because they are partnered with Megaphone. This wasn't like an arbitrary thing. They're partnered with Megaphone, which is another hosting site. And Megaphone's kind of a competitor of sorts of SoundCloud and Podbeans. So that's the rationale behind it. But if you have been listening to us on SoundCloud or Podbean, no need to worry at all. There are plenty of other easy ways to listen to us. Actually, in my opinion, much easier ways to listen to our podcast. If you're an Apple user, you know, iPhone, iPad, anything like that, the obvious easiest way to access us would be through Apple Podcasts, you know, iTunes right there on your phone. That's the easiest way. If you have a, if you have a smartwatch, you have an Apple Watch, you can listen to us through there, which I know some of you do. So a lot of ways there for Apple users. If you're an Android user and or you just don't like to use Apple Podcasts for whatever reason, there are also a number of ways you can access the show. Uh, a lot of people like to listen to us on, on Google Play, which is something that uh, I do highly recommend if you're an Android user. We are also in the process of getting up on Spotify. We were actually up on Spotify, but when we moved our feed over to Megaphone with Overtime Media, we kind of had to renew our, our feed on, on Spotify, so we're, we did that earlier this week. It should be going live here uh, Thursday morning at the latest. It should be. So if you're listening to us after that point, you can check us out on, on Spotify podcast, uh, Stitcher, the TuneIn app, all those things. And if you're having any issues at all accessing us on any of your preferred platforms, just let us know and we will do our absolute best to help you out, kind of troubleshoot some of those issues. Or if you just don't know where to find us, if you're not familiar with any of those those platforms that I just laid out, certainly feel free to contact us. You can hit us up on Twitter, which is at glory underscore UGA. Send us a direct message. There's no problem there. Or if you prefer email, you can email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. All right, we got a ton of questions to get to. This is part two of the week five. God, this sucks. Week five. Week five listener mailbag. And we're going to go ahead and kick things off with a question from Drill Dog. It's a great question, man. We always appreciate the interaction. And Drill Dog asks, what are the main things you think we need to address during the bye week after watching the Notre Dame game? Kurt, there are a lot of people that are up up in arms is probably going a little overboard, but there are a lot of people who are now concerned about the future of this team heading into the bye week. So what do you think in your mind? What are the things that we need to address going into this bye week? Um, I think more than anything, once again, like I said, it's just kind of working on our timing and 
getting everything down between our offense. Um, you know, we still have outside. I mean, even in the offense line, we got some new guys in there uh, trying to get comfortable. I think Trey, uh, Trey Hill needs to work on his um, speed a little bit. And I think just the wide receivers in general need to work on timing and trying to build a better connection with Jake. Cause I think once we get that, then the offense will be in a lot better hands. Yeah, I think all, everything you said is true. I would agree with that, the, especially with the receivers and Jake Fromm in terms of building that rapport. A lot of those guys, t- we talked about this in the in the recap show. Uh, there's some experience there, but not really that much experience with our system, with Jake Fromm. We don't have the guys that Fromm's been working with for a year plus now. We've got guys that Fromm's been working with for uh, a couple of months. Plus, I mean, D-Rob, I guess, has been working with, working with him for a year, but D-Rob didn't really see a lot of action, wasn't really working with the ones, wasn't a factor last year. So certainly think that's still a work in progress. We need to continue to improve there. What about schematically, like from a play calling perspective? We talk a lot about what the players can improve on. Is there anything that our coaching staff can improve on going into this bye week and clean up on? Um, probably just working more on our downfield passing attack. I think that's probably the biggest way, especially offensively, that we could improve. Yeah, I mean, no doubt about that. We've we talked about this in the recap show, but again, just to reiterate it, we've got to – if we want to be the team that we ultimately think that we can be, if we want to contend for actual championships, more than just an SEC title, if we want to go out there and contend for a playoff spot and maybe a potential national title, we have got to find a way to push the ball vertically down the field on a more consistent basis against better competition. Uh, we haven't played a ton of great competition. Uh, Vanderbilt obviously is not great competition, but they're better than Murray State and they're better than Arkansas State. Uh, and we didn't have a ton of success throwing the ball vertically down the field against them. We didn't really try it all that much, and we didn't do a ton of it against uh, Notre Dame until maybe later in the game, late in the third quarter, early fourth quarter. So I want to become more consistent there. I, I want our coaches to just trust our receivers at this point. I know, like, we look, we do not have the experience that we had last year. We don't have that. But we at some point, we've got to just trust those guys to go out there and make plays and grow on the job. Because if we just kind of try to hide them in big games, we are not going to win enough of the big games left on our schedule to get where we want to get. We're just going to have to just open it up, throw the football. And I'm not saying like that's going like 67% throwing the football, but we're going to have to give those guys opportunities to prove that they can be trusted uh, in their vertical passing game. I also would say our coaching staff, especially offensively, I would like to see them do a better job of getting our, our, just designing ways to get our playmakers the ball, get guys touches. James Cook was a non-factor in that game against Notre Dame. And that guy is one of the, best playmakers on our offense. At least he has the skill set to be one of the better playmakers on our on our offense. And look, I know that we got DeAndre Swift. I know we got a ton of guys we want to get touches, but we've got to find a way to maximize the skill set of our offensive skill talent and find a way to get them touches in space so that they can so that we can 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 actually start hitting some more of those explosive plays against some of the better teams that we're going to be facing down the road. So those are all things I, I want to continue to work on. Tackling just in general is something that everyone's got to work on. There's just not much of that done during the season. So, I, and I don't know how you would really address that because you, you don't want to get injuries, but um, it, during the bye, you can kind of go back to fundamentals. You have a little bit of time to do that. So tackling um, is something that I, I still continue to say is something that we've got to improve. We're getting better in that area, but we've got to continue to improve. If you want to uh, be some of the better teams on our schedule. All right, let's go into the next question. This is from Savannah Braves Fan Club, so we appreciate the question. Has there ever, has there been an overreaction to this game? At the game, we felt firmly in control the second half until Notre Dame put together one successful drive for a touchdown late in that quarter. Everyone who watched on television seems to think we squeaked one out, and I'm not buying it. I think we outlined a top 10 opponent. Kurt, is Savannah Braves fan club onto something there? Are, are people overreacting to the outcome against Notre Dame? 
I mean, of course, I think that, you know, some things were raised that we need to work on. But honestly, uh, outside of that one drive that they were talking about, they didn't do it that much offensively. I mean, you got to remember the first touchdown was off a muff punt. So realistically, outside of that, we held them to one true drive where they really scored a touchdown. Um, and against an offense like Notre Dame, I think that's pretty dang impressive, especially for our mm-hmm. defense down two corners, um, not 100% healthy at the defensive line position. And that I mean, I just there, don't yeah. think people are taking that into account. I think you're absolutely right. And on that on that uh, drive where they scored on the muff punt, we made them earn it. It goes all the way to the fourth down, then it's the one-handed like reach-around grab by Cole Komet that ultimately gets the touchdown. So it, it, we certainly made them earn it offensively. They barely had over 300 yards, a little over 300 yards of total offense. Guys, that's a good Notre Dame team. They might not be a top-five team. That's certainly a top-ten-level team, in my opinion. I think they're going to end up 11-1, 10 or 2 when it's all said and done. We mentioned that earlier in the week. Uh, but, yeah, I, I certainly think there's some overreaction here. I've talked about that a couple times this week. Look, are there things to be concerned about? Are there things that we need to improve on? Of course, absolutely. But I go back to what I said earlier in the week. This is week four, guys. We're talking about a week four football game. We are going to be an entirely different football team by the time we get done. And Kirby Smart's not a perfect coach. Our coaching staff is not perfect. We have a question about that later on. But – I will say one thing. Our team, through the first three years of Kirby Smart's tenure, they've improved throughout the season each year. We get better as the season goes on. Look at where we were in 2017, beginning of that year. And look at where we ended up as a national title team. The first three or four weeks of the season, most people in America would not have pinpointed Georgia as a team that could potentially play in the national championship. Yet, at the end of the year, we were there. Last year, we had our issues early. I was concerned early on. I I, I know we were winning games. We blew out. Uh, South Carolina, South Carolina on the road, and I think that kind of got people excited, got me excited. But then you watch that Missouri game, and there were some issues in that game. We won the game comfortably, but some issues started to pop up in that game. And of course, we all saw what happened to LSU. By the time we got to the end of the season, we were a night and day different team. So I fully expect this team to continue to improve. I expect our coaching staff to identify and address some of the issues. Kirby mentioned that some of those things in his press conference this week uh, on Tuesday. He mentioned, you know, he brought up some of the issues that some fans are talking about. And look, guys, if 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 we are aware of the issues that our team is having and we can identify some of the, some of those things, I absolutely 1 million percent guarantee you our coaches identify that. They understand. This is what they do for a living. They are infinitely better uh, or infinitely more equipped to handle these things and to identify some of these issues than we are. All right, As much as we all think we know about football, they know a lot more. So they identify these things, and they're going to have a plan. Kirby is one of the most detail-oriented people I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and I mean, the stories about his detailed nature are just manifold. And he is going to be, get this team in a better position moving forward. I have no doubt about that. See, I think there's a little bit of a reaction. I think it also goes back to the fact that people just had, I don't want to say unrealistic expectations. If we played up to our level, to our standard, as Kirby likes to say, we could have blown that team out. We didn't play to our standard. We played a little bit below that. So it's all about finding out why we play below our standard, addressing those issues, and continuing to improve. But, yeah, I think there's a little bit of overreaction here. I, I think this team is, is still very much a championship-caliber team. We have all the pieces we need to be a team that's going to be right there uh, at the top of the heap late in the season. Uh, all right, next up, we got a question, another question from Zeeshan. Uh, he had a question for us in part one. Uh, so appreciate the question, my man. Always appreciate the interaction. And he, he asked a fair question. Why were tight ends so easily able to pick up yards against us uh, again, with another, in the Notre Dame game. Do we have no linebackers to stick on them? 
Could this be used to exploit our defense in the future? Kerr, how do you explain how much success Cole Komet was able to have against us? Um, I mean, he's a good tight end realistically. I mean, I think you guys are under undercounting him. I don't think many teams in NCAA have a tight end that was as talented as what he could put on the field. I think he had a good balance of how big he is. I mean, he, he to me, he was like a smaller, smaller Rob Gronkowski out there. Big body, but still moved really well, which is a, a matchup problem because they can use that body to body your tight ends and create spaces, which which is what you saw a lot of those times in those option routes. So it's not about our linebacker slacking, because I think feel like for the most part, especially Tay and people like that, did a good job of staying with him for the most part. Um, so, I mean, teams can try to use their tight ends against us, but I don't think there's many of the uh, many players like him out there that can do that. But there are some pretty good tight ends left on our schedule. I mean, Albert O from Missouri is the one who kind of stands, who who comes to mind first. He stands out there. Uh, and I will say, like, I think Tay is better in coverage than Monty Rice. But Albert O one on one against Monty Rice, Curtis, who's winning that ninety nine percent of the time? I mean, he is. But we also got to remember they shut down uh, the guy from Vanderbilt, sure. so it's not like we can't do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think we were we had a, the difference between Jared Pinkney our, and our ability to handle him versus our ability to handle. Uh, Cole Komet, I think there's a couple things. Number one, Ian Book is just better than Riley Neal. Okay, that's just simply. And I also believe Notre Dame runs a lot better offense to put him in a position to be successful. Sure, absolutely. Spread the ball out a little bit more than Vanderbilt. There's no doubt there. Uh, I'd also say that we game planned all summer long for Jared Pinkney at at Vanderbilt. We knew coming into that game he was going to be a guy that we had to take away. He's one of their top playmakers offensively. If not, probably uh, along there with Keyshawn Vaughn, their top two playmakers. You throw Elijah Lips coming in there as well. Uh, but Cole Komet, I mentioned this in the recap show. We, how did we have any idea that he was going to be a featured guy like that? This guy had like a hundred. No idea. Yeah, we had no like we. I knew he, I knew he was going to play. I knew who he was. But through his first two years at Notre Dame, he had under 180 yards total receiving, one total touchdown in his career. There was no way Kirby Smart and our defensive staff could have known that Cole Komet was. They were going to come out and he was going to be the featured guy in the first half. Uh, against our defense. There's no way they could know. He hadn't played at all this season. This is the first game of the season coming off an injury. So there's no way they could have known that. Uh, and then once we realized, oh, wait, they're featuring this guy, we adjusted accordingly, and we were able to essentially take him away in the second half. He had, what, seven catches in the first half, two catches in the second half. He did have that one big catch in the fourth quarter, kind of set up a drive. Um, but really, we took him away in the second half because we actually – just went into this halftime and game plan. Okay, how can we adjust? What do we need to do to take him away? Let's put more attention. Let's put a safety over the top. Let's kind of bracket him a little bit. Because what we're doing is we're giving a lot more attention to the to the perimeter, to guys like Chase Claypool, especially once Eric Stokes goes out. But they weren't really attacking us there. So in the, at halftime, we make the adjustment. Put those resources on Cole Komet, and we were able to take him away. And they didn't really have an answer for that until late in the fourth quarter. And they finally realized, oh, hey, maybe let's go after Chase Claypool or go after um, Tyree McGee with Chase Claypool matched up on him out there because that's a major mismatch, and they were able to exploit that. So I I'm don't think I'm necessarily overly concerned about it. Guys, like when you have an athletic tight end like that, whether it's Cole Komet or um, – Albert uh, Okawagabunum, however you say his name, Albert O at Missouri, those guys that can play in line and also can beat you in the passing game, those guys are matchup problems for a reason because you have to match defensively with bigger personnel because they can run the football on you if those guys are competent blockers, which both those guys are. I think Komet's maybe a little bit better blocker in line than, than Albert O, but they can both be competent blockers. So you have to respond defensively with big personnel. You have to keep guys like Monty Rice on the field to defend against the run. So when that happens, and then they can then they can exploit you in the passing game, and that's what 
they were trying to do to us early in that game because you can't go with your dime package on early standard downs if you got a tight end in the game because they will just run it down your throat. I know Notre Dame hasn't been a great rushing offense, but if you if, if we try to play a dime package against their uh, uh, you know 12 personnel, if they went up with, with that look, then we're going to get run over. I don't care who we are. We just have smaller guys on the field. So those it's a it's a mismatch type situation and, and it it creates a problem for us from a personnel perspective and it's hard to match up with that. That's why I, I really am excited for guys like Nicobe Dean and Quay Walker to continue to grow because those are guys as good as Monty Rice has been. He comes off the field on third downs. He is not a guy that we have on the field in, in obvious passing situations. Whereas Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, those guys those are guys that are coming on the field in third down situations, especially Nicobe Dean because of their ability to cover in space because they're a little bit more athletic. So once those guys become a little bit more comfortable in the system and our coaches begin to trust them a little bit more, I don't think we're going to have as many issues. Even when we have to go with bigger personnel, I don't think we're going to have as many issues covering some, some of those more athletic tight ends. It's a really good question because we are going to have some, uh, some athletic tight ends uh, in the future on our schedule, there's no doubt there. Uh, Tennessee actually has a pretty good guy. Dominic Wood Anderson's a pretty athletic tight end. They just don't really necessarily have a great quarterback right now. A head case of quarterbacks is what I would say with Tennessee. But we'll get to them next week. All right, next up, we got an, uh, another question from Drill Dog. Uh, this one is about some future opponents. We talked about earlier some of the bigger teams on our schedule left to play. And uh, he asked, how do we match up against Auburn and Florida at this point? So, Kurt, let's uh, let's just say Auburn first. Right now, let's say we play, we're playing Auburn on Saturday. How do we match up with this Auburn football team? I think we match up with them really well because the strength of their team is the defensive line. Well, one of our strengths is our offensive line. So it's more or less like a strength against strength. And right in that position, for the most part, that's going to be a push. And I think when you compare it to all their other position groups, we have the edge. Yes, I think um... – I think if there's anyone in America, anyone in America, anyone, especially anyone in the SEC that matches up with that Auburn defensive front seven, especially that front four, I think it would obviously be our offensive line. I agree with you there. But I mean, it might be a push of sorts. You got the best offense, what people would regard as the best offensive line, at least one of them versus one of the better defensive lines in America, at least what people would regard as one of the better defensive lines. That could ultimately end up being a push. What I would say though is that's the would you agree with me that that's maybe the one defensive front in the league right now, along with, along with sure, maybe Alabama? that could potentially slow down our rushing attack. Would you say that's a possibility? 100%, yeah. Yeah, so that's the one team I would look at and say, man, I don't know if we're going to be able to run the ball uh, as consistently, as successfully, as dominantly as we have for most of the season, which then concerns because if if we by the time we get to play Auburn late in, in the season, in November, if we have not found a way and found some sort of comfort level with our passing game to stretch the field a little bit more vertically, to hit some big plays in the passing game, give those guys opportunities on the field – Auburn, our offense can have a lot of issues against this Auburn defensive front. We really could. If we're one-dimensional and we're not trusting Jake Fromm to go out there and make plays in the passing game, trusting our receivers, it could be a very difficult matchup for us um, on the plains there in, in November. So that's one thing to put in your back pocket. But offensively, I'll say this. Does, well, does Auburn scare you offensively, Curtis? You're always talking about no, both Knicks. Honestly, no. No, I mean, guys, we were talking about how great a win it was at AM, and it's a really nice win, sure. But AM outgained them by about 100 yards. Auburn didn't crack 300 yards of total offense, guys. They still have a true freshman quarterback who has not impressed me. Sure, each game he seems to find a way to make a play here or there. But dude, the dude had barely over 100 yards passing against Texas A&M. And Texas A&M is not great defensively. They're, they've gotten better. They've improved when Mike Elko is the defense corner. But they're not an elite defensive unit by any stretch of the imagination. They haven't even approached that. So this Auburn offense, I know Gus. people look at Gus Malzahn and say, oh, he's calling the plays again. They see him as like some sort of offensive mastermind. I think Gus Malzahn was an offensive mastermind and innovator about 10 to 15 years ago. 
the game, I don't want to say it's passed him by, but his offense is stale now. Like it is not unique. It is not overly innovative. He's been doing the same thing for a decade plus. You watch that offense, they run five to six plays, maybe. They just do it with a bunch of window dressing and a bunch of different formations and make you think they're doing something different, but they're really just not. It's just power football out of a spread out set utilizing the entire field. So that offense doesn't really concern me, and I think our defense really matches up well against them. We have so much speed right now. Right now what they're doing, the way they beat AM, they're not running the ball right at people. They don't have the offensive line to do that. They're they're trying to attack the perimeter with, with their speed with guys like Anthony Schwartz, who had an over 50-yard touchdown run on their jet sweeps against AM early in that game. But we have the defensive speed to, at least in my opinion, counteract that much better than most teams that Auburn has played and will play before they play us in November. So I think we match up pretty well with them, to be honest with you. We need to find a way to throw the ball vertically down the field a little more consistently, then I'll feel a lot better about that game. Uh, and what about Florida? How do you feel like we match up with Florida, who somehow, to this point, still undefeated? I think we match up really well with Florida. I don't know as true position group that I give them the edge, maybe other than their receivers over ours, that they could use to, to beat us. Honestly, what about Florida – really scares you i know we're supposed to be concerned about florida but just their receivers because they're explosive but outside that it's nothing really that scares me that running games not as it's not even it's yeah they hype it up up and it's not there the o-line's not good defensive lines is very overhyped um reese is good at linebacker but outside that i mean it's not like they just scare me Reese is good when you run right at him. I think if you get him in space, he's not as good as 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 he is in, in between tackles. He reminds me a lot of Monty Rice. I think he's like their version of Monty Rice, in my opinion. Maybe a more experienced Monty Rice. Um, he's a good player, but maybe not an elite player. Uh, what about uh, Grenard, uh, Zaniga, those guys concerning the defensive front as, as pass rushers? Honestly, no. Yeah, I know we had some issues early on uh, on the offensive line protecting from, which was really honestly overstated. It was just the fact that when you're playing lesser competition, you were supposed to be the best offensive line in America, and there's like any pressure at all to speak of on from, people get concerned. And I, I guess I get that uh, just on some level. But against Notre Dame's defensive front, who might, you know, along with, with Auburn, and Auburn is a great defense front, but they're not necessarily a dominant pass rushing unit, might end up ultimately being the best, best pass rushing group that we face all year in the regular season. We held them to zero sacks and zero official quarterback hurries. So if we were able to do that against Notre Dame, guys like Julian Aquara and Dalen Hayes and Khaled Kareem, I feel pretty good about our ability to handle the guys like Grenard and uh, Zaniga that Florida's going to put out there. Those guys are good players. Don't get me wrong, they are, but our offensive line is still really good too. So I think we match up really well against Florida as well. Honestly, there's no reason we should lose to Florida. There's very few spots in that field where they are out-talent, going to out-talent us. Maybe they're secondary versus our receivers, maybe. Would you say that? Yeah. Yeah, and, and who, but who knows what our receivers are going to look like at that point. I, I, I still maintain our receivers are very, very talented. They're just inexperienced. Um, now, I do think you can attack Florida safeties. I will say that. Their corners are good. I think you can attack their safeties. I think you can attack them in the slot there with, with Trey Dean. I don't think he's a particularly dominant cover guy in their secondary. So there are some holes in that Florida defense to attack. So honestly, I think we should beat Florida. And Auburn, it's a tough spot, especially, you know, that game potentially being a 330 game that could turn to a night game late in the second half there. That could be a tough spot, but I still think we are overall a better football team than Auburn. I trust our offense more than I trust Auburn's offense. It's very strange to look at the perspectives of Auburn and Georgia, how people are looking at us like we're lesser than what they thought we were going to be after this Notre Dame game, yet they're just patting Auburn on the back after sneaking one out against Oregon in the first game. They got dominated in that game and somehow just snuck it out late. Against a they get outgained by 100 yards, don't even crack 300 yards total offense. But the narrative surrounding this Auburn team, the narrative surrounding us after week four, it's very different, isn't it? And it's it's yeah. because the expectations 
coming into the year were different from those teams. Most people didn't expect Auburn to be that good. So now that they've kind of exceeded expectations to a degree, all of a sudden people are really excited about them. And it's not that we had fallen short of expectations, but we didn't blow out Notre Dame like people expected us to. So the narrative now uh, with us is somewhat – uh, that we that we're underwhelming. It's just interesting how that that works because we've actually performed better than Auburn has. I know their schedule's been a little bit more difficult than ours, but they haven't really dominated anybody. They even had a little bit of issue, uh, some issues with Tulane going back to week two. So just interesting to look at that. But anyway, before we get to our next question, I do want to stop and remind everyone very quickly that if you are looking for tickets for anything, especially Georgia football games, you know, we got another game here on the road on Rocky Top in about a week and a half. We've developed quite the reputation as a traveling fan base that supports our football program, supports our guys. And if you want to be a part of helping continue that tradition by making the trip to Knoxville next weekend, the best place to find tickets undoubtedly is Vivid Seats. And right now they are running a promotion for new users. And all you have to do is use promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100. That's a big number there on all ticket purchases all right next up let's move to another question we got brent uh thanks for the question man and brent says first off the dogs got the win and what an incredible atmosphere for recruits but a lot of room for improvement all over the place where was zeus at do you guys think the vanilla play calling is going to be an issue down the road so Kurt, let's take uh the zeus part here first where was zamir white did not see him at all in the backfield I mean, I, in this people game people have to remember zeus still is not 100 percent um, he's gotten in there and he's done well, but it's not like he's really gotten in there and got a lot of experience against a, a first-team defense. So I don't think that realistically the coach has trusted him enough to come in and do a lot against the first-team defense in a close-game situation like that. Um, I mean, he still has to earn his way back in and earn some more playing time. Um, I mean, you know he's talented and everything, but, but at this level, a lot of people are talented, and we're not sure if he's at 100% yet. So. I mean, in the way DeAndre Swift was running it and things like that, I don't know how you take carries away from him. That's exactly right. That was going to be my point is uh, we all love Zamir White. I think that his future is very bright. I think we all agree with that. But who are you taking carries away from? You taking carries from DeAndre Swift in that game? I'm not. Nope. Not at this not. point. And you could maybe say, well, give give Herring's carries to Zamir White. Okay, maybe, but right now, again, Herring's 100%. So 100, uh, in long and term, Herring also brings some versatility in passing game that, you know, Absolutely. Zeus may not Zeus have. Yeah. And Harry and like, look, we all think Zeus's ceiling is higher than Harry's. And I'm sure, and that's, I, I agree with that, but a hundred percent of Brian Harry versus maybe, and we don't know what percentage Zeus is, but a, a not completely healthy Zamir white who hasn't really played in big moments like that. It just makes sense to go with Brian Harry. Right. Yeah, it does. And, and, and it's not like Harry and played poorly. Harry actually played pretty well. Didn't get a ton of carries, um, got single digit carries, but he made the most of them average over five yards of carry. So I thought, I thought Brian played well. So I, I just, I know we all want to see Zeus. And I, and I talked earlier about getting our playmakers the ball, but in this particular game, I just, I don't know where he was going to get those carries. Like who do you take those carries away from? Maybe Harry only gets four or five and Zeus gets three or four, maybe, but I'm not taking any away from DeAndre Swift. Um, not at this point. Not a game like that. I'm just not. Uh, second part of the question, do you guys think the Vanel play calling is going to be an issue down the road? Do you see any issues there, Kurt? Or is it just the fact that we're still kind of working in some younger players offensively? Um, you know, I'm not sure it's going to always be this vanilla. And like you said, I think we are still trying to, you know, we've kind of touched on it in the past that we're trying to build some trust and things right now. So I think the coaches are going to try to call right now what they're comfortable with. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested to watch as we all are 
to watch how and if this offense evolves as the season progresses and as some of our younger, inexperienced players grow up a little bit and get a little bit more experience. Is it actually going to change? Because, you know, one thing that kind of, you know, it's it's funny. And, it's, and well, I say funny, but maybe more like frustrating. We heard all the first three weeks, Kurt, right, that like uh, maybe we're just holding things back. The offense was kind of vanilla, but we're just holding things back from Notre Dame. Remember hearing all that, right? Yeah. But did we really do anything different against Notre Dame? Um, not really. We really didn't. We saw the exact same stuff. We saw the same jet sweep motion. We saw the same RPO actions. We saw the same back shoulder fades, all the same stuff. We saw the same 12 personnel, but really not doing much out of 12 personnel other than just running the football. Uh, we didn't see anything drastically different. And, and, and it doesn't need to be drastically different, but we need to run different constraining action or different constraining uh, plays off of the actions that we're running. This jet sweep, it works. It's great. But if you, all you do off that is either fake a handoff to the uh, – jet motion guy or actually hand it off, then defenses are going to be able to eventually, especially more talented defenses, they're going to be able to handle that. We've got to find something to do off that, whether it's a bootleg, whether it's some sort of other play action. There's got to be things that we can do off of those actions to keep defenses a little bit more honest and and, and to constrain them a little bit. So I, I do think that I want to believe, let's say that, I want to believe that the play calling will become a little bit more advanced as we get further in the season as guys get more experience and our coaches begin to trust some of these guys a little bit more. But at some point, we've just got to we've just got to do it. We've we've got to take the training wheels off and let these guys play. Because I, I said it earlier in the week, I'll say it again: you do not get an opportunity to have a third-year starting quarterback in the SEC very often, especially one of the caliber of Jay Fromm, who could potentially end up being a first-round draft pick. You cannot waste this guy because you're scared to unleash the wide, the young and inexperienced wide receivers. We just got to go out there and let those guys make make plays. Are they going to make some mistakes too? Yeah, they are. They are. But the quicker they make those mistakes, the quicker they're going to learn from them and the more likely, the, the more time we're going to have for them to actually be able to make plays for us. If we don't give them opportunities until week nine or 10, then we're taking away what those guys can offer us. Go ahead and, and throw them to the wolves now. Let those guys make some mistakes against Tennessee and hope and just hope it won't cost us. And then once they make the mistakes, you learn from it, you grow from it, you get better later in the year. Those guys are now ready to make plays for us. So that, that's kind of how I see that situation. But great question. All right, we got another question here about the offense. Uh, and we've kind of already touched on this, but I'll throw it out there and see if there's anything else you want to add, Curtis. This is from Jonathan. This is a great question. Uh, what exactly needs to change with our offense? Can you go in-depth on what you think needs to change, if anything at all? So, Kurt, I know we talked about this a little bit here and there, but um, anything to add to that? Like, If you could change anything offensively right now, let's say you, they bring you in as a consultant, what are you gonna? What advice are you giving them in terms of what our offense needs to do moving? Forward? I mean, it's it's. I mean, we're beating a dead horse because we've we really are. been touching on it throughout all the other throughout the show. So it's not a it's not a shot at the question because it is a good question. But I mean, there's only so much you can do. I think the main thing that we can do is to try to spread this. Uh, you know, spread out or use more of a spread type system in our passing attack and try to get our players in space and use them at their best and allow Jake to try to make some throws more downfield things to open up the run game. I mean, outside that, I don't know what else you really can do. Yeah. Like people are, I, I'm not what I mean, but people want to act like our offense is a complete train wreck. Yeah. And our offense was averaging almost 570 yards a game through three weeks. I know it wasn't great competition, but we were still putting up big time yards. Um, I think actually our total against Arkansas State was like the, maybe the fifth highest in Georgia history, something like that, six over 650. Uh, and look, we didn't perform like we wanted to against Notre Dame. And I know that's the best competition we played today. So people are now saying, oh, well, are really just not that good offensively? Is, is this what we're going to be like against good defenses? 
Uh, I think the answer is no. I think we're better than that. I don't think we executed like we wanted to in the first half. I don't think we called a game like we wanted to in the first half. Uh, like I said, we got to take the training wheels off. We talked about this. You mentioned Kirk got attacked vertically down the field. Uh, I mentioned this a little bit in the last show, but I'll, I'll, for those who might have missed it, I want us to make more use out of 12 personnel with one running back and two tight ends. We run that a lot, but we are so overwhelmingly run heavy in that in, in that uh, personnel grouping that it's not even funny. And teams know what we're going to do. We do nothing creative off of that. And I mean, you don't have to get creative. Just actually use the mismatches that it creates. We talked about it earlier in the show when we were talking about uh, Cole Komet. But our, our tight ends are good guys. Maybe not Cole Komet level. Maybe not Albert O level. But our tight ends can create mismatches for opposing defenses. What we need to do is when we go to 12 personnel, they have to match us with bigger personnel defensively to match our run game, and we create mismatches there against uh, linebackers and and safeties against our tight ends. We just actually got to throw the football more consistently out of that personnel group, and we're just not doing it enough. We always talk about creating mismatches with the tight ends. Well, we create the mismatches. We just don't take advantage of the mismatches. We don't call plays in a way that allows us to take advantages of that so that's one thing for me if you want to get specific here from an x's and o perspective that's one thing that i certainly really want to change i've been wanting that to change for a couple of years though uh, i was hoping with james coley what we might see that change we haven't really yet um it's still early so i'm, I'm holding out hope that maybe we'll unleash that but i don't know man we, we said that we're holding stuff back from Notre Dame, so we're just holding it back uh, for some indefinite period of time i don't know i don't know man it, it's frustrating for me but it's a good question uh, all right, next up, get a little play on words name here. I like it. Uh, this is from Aaron, Aaron, like Aaron, Aarononi, Aaronis, like so, like erroneous, basically. Uh, are you happy with every coach in our roster, or should we be worried about a coach or two? I, for one, am worried about our offensive coordinator. So, Curtis, do you agree with erroneous? Are you worried about the coordinator? Is there any other coach on the staff that you're thinking maybe he's not pulling his weight right now? Um, no, I mean, people first off got to realize James Coley's a great recruiter. Kirby would not keep him on staff if he didn't do it. And at the same time, all these people want to act like there's going to be changes right away in the offense and you're going to see it all working right away. Please show me an offense coordinator in college football that through four games has instilled the perfect offense, made the perfect calls, and has everything clicking right away. I think I'll be waiting a while because that's not going to happen. Right, and especially, and I still maintain it, just like I did with Jim Chaney, when the offensive coordinator here at Georgia has to operate within the offensive framework that Kirby Smart lays out, right? I mean, that's what that's the reality. Kirby Smart says, this is what I want our identity to I be. Mean, how, how well, it looks up to you, but this is what I want us to be able to do philosophically. Look at Alabama. Yeah, they're putting up big yards, but realistically, two is throwing short passes and the receivers are taking to the house. They're not doing anything special. RPO after RPO. So, I mean, RPO I, I, think some people are just, I think some people are just, once again, being highly – highly unrealistic in what they expect from a brand new offensive coordinator. Yeah. And, and philosophically, Alabama is just different. Than us. They go with more pace than we do. They're trying to put those numbers, the RPO. We slow things down deliberately. We run the football a lot more deliberately than they do. Um, and we just play a different game. It's kind of like bully ball. Uh, I want to give credit. I heard that from somewhere and, I, and it's kind of, what did I, hear? I can't remember where I heard that. So I, I guess I'm stealing that from somewhere, but it's true. Like we just play a different brand of football. We play bully ball, but we're as efficient as any other team in America. We not, might not put up the yardage totals. We not, might not put up the point totals as consistently, but yards per play, we are as efficient as just about any offense in America. We really are. Um, so look, I, I'm, I think it's too early. I'm with you to say that I'm worried about our offense coordinator. I think it's fair to question the overall offensive philosophy to a degree. But, guys, it's worked for us. I, I said a couple of weeks ago, our offense has not been the issue. I laid out the stats. 
the past two years, our offense has not been the problem. Our offense was not the problem in the SEC title game last year. We put up four touchdowns against Alabama. That should be enough to beat them. What hurt us, and I know we kind of went to a shell a little bit late in the game, but we if we could have gotten one stop late in that game, we win the game. Same thing defensively in the national title game. If we can get a stop in overtime, we win the football game. The offense has not been the problem. The defense, especially last year, that's what let us down, and that's one of the reasons I'm very – I'm very bullish on this team this year because offensively, I don't think we're ultimately when it's all, when we get to the end of the year, I don't think our offense is going to be that much. I don't think it's going to be that far off from where we were a year ago. Offensively. I really don't. Once we get some of these younger receivers, a little bit more experience and a little bit, and we trust them a little bit more, but defensively we are very much a, a, a more, a, an improved team over where we were last year. We are much better defensively. And I think we're going to be able to get those stops this year against better opponents in, in championship settings uh, better equipped to do that than we have been the past couple of years. So uh, I, I, I love our coaching staff. I really do. I think Scott Fountain does a great job of special teams. Dan Lanning is still young as the team's coordinator, but I really like what he brings to the table. You mentioned James Coley's recruiter. Guys, all the guys that we're getting from South Florida right now, the James Cooks of the world, the Tyson Campbells of the world, we don't get those guys without James Coley. or as, We don't get as many of them. I'll say that. Um, so you got to fact, recruiting is a part of coaching as well, especially or obviously in the college, at the college level. Um, I really like what all of the guys are bringing in to the table. I'm not really worried about anyone on our, on our staff. I think we have a great coaching staff. I think we have a championship caliber coaching staff. I'll say that. Uh, all right, next I've got a question from Caleb. What happened with the disappearance of George Pickens? He's way too much of a weapon to not get his targets. Kurt, what do you think? Um, I mean, we did target him. I mean, we just didn't complete the passes. I can think of at least three times where we did target him. Um, I'm not saying it's his fault. We just didn't get the completion there. It all, and it doesn't um, help when, when referees don't call pass interference either. Yeah, and then sometimes you got to go with the hot hand. And at our time, I think Cager had a really good hand. Jake probably felt a little bit more comfortable going with those back shoulder throws to Cager that he did in those time situations. Cager's also a matchup problem. People have to realize he's also six foot five. He's a big boy. I mean, he can go up there and get that ball. And I think also in the intermediate passing attack, we were trying to use more of our slot receivers who had matchup problems against their slower uh, linebackers. Yeah. And they were doing some things to take away Pickens. I mean, obviously they had seen him the past couple of weeks and what he, what he started to do offensively for us, making plays down the field. So they ran some quarter stuff that to, to the naked eye might look like man coverage. Like he's got one-on-one coverage out there, but when it's quarters, it's not exactly that way. Um, uh, it, it's it, they can disguise that well, and and but they're not they're not going to fool Jake Fromm on us. So maybe you know we might look at it and say, well, Pickett should get the ball here, but Fromm's looking at it and say, no, actually they're in quarters coverage right now, and uh, that's what they want us to think, and we're not going to make that mistake. But we did. You're right. We there were opportunities when he did have some man coverage out there. There's one play going in the end zone, uh, in the east end zone there that we took. I, I was watching it from my seats. They're in the east end zone. I was pointing at screaming. I was like, take a shot to pick it, take a shot to pick it. He's got man coverage out there. I saw that it wasn't quarters. It was straight up man. And, uh, and lo and behold, we, we did take the shot there. It's one of those plays where it was broken up where I thought it was borderline pass interference. It certainly could have been called. The one that they called um, uh, on us there uh, on the other side of the field, if they're going to call that then against Tyreek McGee, then they should have called that against, uh, against Notre Dame on, on that George Pickens pass breakup. But I think we tried to take a couple of shots. I, look, and I want to get him involved too. I wanted this guy to get a lot of touches. He's one of those guys that I want to take advantage of. But he's also got to learn some things. He's doing a really good job of trying to block out there. But, you know, we don't know what the play calls are. We, you know, as fans, we don't know if he's hitting his, his side adjustments um, and he, he's picking up coverages the right way. We don't know all of that. We just don't have the information there. So um, I think the more he continues to grow and uh, as the season progresses, I think that's the guy that is going to continue to get more looks. And uh, I, I know it was frustrating for him to not have a catch there against Notre Dame if he had a couple good weeks in a row. But I still think this guy is going to be uh, a big-time playmaker for us this season. And I think he's, he's – 
very, very soon is going to be a guy that c- could be a go-to caliber type player for us if he's not already that right now. Uh, all right, next up, we got a question from Charlie. No, not our Charlie. It's a different Charlie. So thank you, Charlie. Why did Dan Lanning continue to bring heavy pressure when Ian Book burned us on almost every blitz and dropping back and man seemed to lock up the receivers? Kurt, what's your take on that? Um, I mean, if once I think it's similar to offense. I mean, we're wanting to create havoc. We're wanting to create pressure. Um, and you could say it can lock up their guys, but if you give him a clean pocket and give him time to throw, someone is going to get open. That's just a fact, matter of the fact. Um, so, and at the same time, you don't want to be running the same stuff over and over and over, setting into a comfort zone, allowing him to know what to expect. You want to keep them guessing, so you are going to have to continuously mix it up. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I agree with dropping back in man coverage seem to lock up the receivers. Man I honestly don't half. know. I don't believe that either. But. Yeah, I mean, like man coverage in the first half on 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 Cole Komet got us in trouble because our linebackers couldn't match up on him. Uh, and then we had man coverage at times with Tyreek McGee in the fourth quarter against Chase Claypool, and they basically got a touchdown on that drive just by attacking Tyreek McGee in man coverage. He made Tyreek um, McGee look like he was his little brother. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't like that. I mean, I didn't like that matchup all game. I was freaking out all game, just waiting for them to go after McGee with Claypool, and I just can't not believe it took him to the the second to last drive of that game to actually do it. Um, we did have some success in man coverage at times. Look, we have both starting corners out, man. I don't. You really want to man up against some a, a pretty good group of receivers with backup cornerbacks? I don't. I mean, you're gonna do it at times. You got to mix up coverages, but I don't know if that was the answer in this game. And and uh, we did bring pressure at times, especially on third down, but. I thought we were a lot less aggressive in our pressure packages against Notre Dame than we had been in the first three weeks. Did you see that too, Kerr? Or am I making that up? I thought we were. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, we were, we came after him on third down. We did, sure, at times, but not near as aggressively as we had the first three weeks. And I don't think we came after him as much on standard downs as we had in the, in the first few weeks. We did bring some some corner pressure from the boundary at times, and and they did uh, complete a couple passes off that in that game. But we also brought it a couple times and it actually worked. So. I actually didn't have a problem with the defensive game plan personally. I thought we, and you know, when you hold a team to 320 yards of total offense, I think you do a pretty darn good job. And like you mentioned earlier, Kurt, really, there's one true touchdown drive they had against us in the fourth quarter. The other one was almost a, was a gimme on that punt, on that muff punt, and we we made them earn it, and we got them to fourth down inside the five yard line. So I thought we played pretty well, and I, I don't know if I have much of an issue with how Lanning called the game, but I can certainly be wrong there. It's just my take on it. Uh, all right, a couple more here, real quick. We're gonna try to run through these rapid fire. Uh, we've got Cliff, our man Cliff. Thanks for the question, Cliff. Um, he says, Tyler Simmons not only gave away points with the muff punt, but inexcusably dropped a perfectly thrown pass. That should have been a touchdown. I don't mean to be harsh on single one or single one player out, but mistakes like that can be the differences in wins and losses. What are your thoughts? Kurt, what do you think, man? Do you agree? I mean, I told you. I thought it was, especially from a senior, you want someone that's going to be a little bit more sure-handed. Um, I think that I've also mentioned that every time the ball goes in the air towards him, I hold my breath because I have no confidence in him. Yeah, I, Tyler Simmons does some good things for us, and he's a good, valuable player for us. But he, as a receiver, does not need to be on the field on third down when it's an obvious passing down. He, what does he give us that other guys do not give us in those situations? Now, on standard downs as a blocker, sure, absolutely. But when everyone in the building knows that we're going to throw the football, the defense coordinators are geared up to stop to stop the pass. What does he give us that Matt Landers or – George Pickens or Dominic Blaylock or Demetrius Robertson or, or Lawrence Cager gives us, right? He doesn't give us anything that, that they don't, right? Except yeah. a smaller body. So I, I just don't – I don't – yeah, I'm with you there, man. Um, it wasn't his best game. Uh, this guy works hard and Kirby loves him. He's earned. He's a leader. So all those things are true. But that can be true. You can still say that 
maybe he shouldn't be on the field in certain situations. So I'm with you there, Cliff, definitely. And, and against better teams, you're right, Cliff, and especially on the road, maybe against Auburn, those things can cost you games. we got to clean that up, no doubt. All right, two more real quick. we got uh, one from Dog to Tiger. says, Coach Smart is catching heat regarding conservative play the last two years. He's talking about in the media, specifically uh, from Dan Wolken. Uh, hmm. But what do you think in regards to how this will help or hurt us in the near future? Kurt, what's your take? Um, I mean, if it was hurting us, people wouldn't be wanting to come play for us. Um, I mean, people have to realize he's still going to be who he is for a while. Look at Nick Saban, the guy coached for what almost twenty years before he finally decided to go to a spread in the last couple. Yeah, years. let's not forget been more than twenty years a head coach. So, yeah, I mean, Saban was a head coach for. I, I mean, he's coached for a long, long time. time. But I say head coach for at least twenty years before he finally relented and tried to change up things. So, I mean, um. It does. I mean, sometimes you have to find out who you are as a coach and what you want to do and what works and what doesn't work. Um, and no coach is perfect. You know, everyone I think expects us to go out there and him call a game or be a coach like Dabo or Saban. I mean, people forget Dabo got, gave up seventy three points in a, a BCS bowl game. I mean, yeah, it, right? it's yeah. going to take a while for him to figure out wh- how truly a coach he is. Or, I mean, not truly a coach, but what scheme he, he feels like with. best going forward yeah and i mean i think he's pretty comfortable in what we are right now he has a vision guys this is a well thought out vision you might not like it and you might think we should do something different but this is not just like hey you know what let's just do this it's not some arbitrary decision it's a well thought out scheme and this scheme can work we've seen it work again we've been one of the most efficient offenses in the country the past two years running the same scheme so i know it doesn't look like oklahoma or clemson or something and that can frustrate people but it's still an effective system um, and I think one of the things he's talking about here also is like the play, like the the uh, decision making here, like on fourth down, uh, going for the field goal instead of going for it on fourth and one after Fromm's scramble. And uh, got, Dan Walken um, took a shot at that. I think it's USA Today or whatever. I'll just say this: Dan Walken is is trash. Uh, I have he no is. respect for him whatsoever as a journalist. He had he just entirely lacks journalistic integrity. And if you don't know what I mean, just go research Dan Walken, Tennessee, John Curry, and uh, you'll find out all you need to know about him with that Tennessee. Uh, coaching sort of how he's trying to basically cover for an AD behind the scenes. Um, anything he says, I just I don't pay attention to it at all. He, he's just clickbait. He's one of those new age guys. Ha, ha, look at me, clickbait, all that kind of stuff. I just don't take him seriously. And um, Kirby's decision, uh, specifically on that fourth down, it actually proved to be the right decision, whether we agree with it or not. And at the time, I wasn't sure myself. I'll have to be honest there. But at the end of the day, in that last drive, all Notre Dame would have needed if we don't get the first down there. You could have said, well, we would have gotten the first down, but we didn't get it against Vanderbilt, guys. So why why were we going to get started? I was about to say the same thing. In the end, uh, you know, it can't. We were biting our nails, not sure if they were scoring a touchdown. But like you mentioned, it ended up winning us the game because they did have to. They go had to score a touchdown. touchdown. They could right. have been they they could have been just trying to get in field goal position, which they almost were. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I I think it's a little bit overstated. Um, you can call me a coach defender if you want. That's fine. And Kurt, real quick, last question. I know you got to get out of here. It's from Alexander, just a general question from a film study standpoint: Is it better to be at the game or to watch it on TV? What do you think? Um, at the game because you can see the whole field. Sometimes, depending on the camera angle, you don't get to see everything of what's going on. You only get to see they only focus really on the play itself and where the ball is, but you can't see everything developing over time. But at the same time, it is it is a good – I mean, with as nice as TVs are and everything is nowadays, you can't go wrong watching a game at home. I think there are advantages and disadvantages to both, whether you're at the game or you're at home watching on your big screen TV. Me at the game, personally for me, I think you get a better bird's eye view of the development of each and every play. When you're watching at home, you can see certain things develop, but the, the – 
the cameras are focused on the offense. A lot of times, the secondary, especially the safeties, they're outside the frame. So you can't see exactly what they're doing from a coverage standpoint. You can't see the pre-snap disguises. You can't see where they're moving around. You can't see what hash they're on necessarily because they're just completely out of the frame. So I don't think it necessarily gives you a complete picture on what's happening each and every play. Whereas at the game, you do get to see the complete picture, which for me, I personally very much enjoy and I value that. But it also depends on where you're sitting in the stadium. Different parts of the stadium are going to give you different views on what's happening at the game, obviously. For me, I personally enjoy sitting in the end zone. That's where I like to sit. I know that's not a popular place to sit. Most people would prefer to sit on the 50-yard line, which is really nice. Don't get me wrong. But personally, uh, the old coach of me likes to look at it from the coach's angle. When you're watching coach's tape, you look at it from the end zone view because that's where and how you see everything develop. You can see how the coverage develop. You can see the route combinations being run very clearly. You can see how everything is meshing together. You can see what the quarterback's looking at. And that gives you a better understanding and appreciation for the decisions that the quarterback is making in any given game. I just think you have a more complete picture when you're at the stadium, and in particular, when you're sitting in the end zone. Again, I know that's not a popular position to take. Most people don't like sitting in the end zone. But actually, my season tickets for years have been in the east end zone. And I have asked for them to stay there. I've had the opportunity to move up uh, and move around the bowl. But I have asked the ticket office each and every year to please do not move me from my seats. Because to me, that's where I get the best vantage point to take in everything that's going on. To see the complete picture. But there are advantages to taking in a game at home on your big screen television. Especially with the technological advances that we have now in terms of camera angles, the picture quality. All of that makes it very enjoyable to actually watch football games in the comfort of your own home. And one of the biggest advantages I think sitting at home watching a game brings you is now with the, with DVR, the ability to stop, pause, and rewind, also fast forward games. For a guy like me who really gets into the X's and O's of the game, I really like the ability to go back, rewind, and really truly diagnose what teams are trying to do both defensively and offensively. When you're at a game, you don't have that luxury. You can still read and diagnose things, but it's on the fly. You don't get to pause, rewind, and say, wait, wait a minute, what did I just see there? Uh, Did my eyes deceive me, or did I see what I actually thought I saw? And of course, when you're watching a game at home, you get access to all the replays, the zoom-ins on penalties, and they're doing a better job of that in the stadium, but you still don't get the quantity of replay opportunities that you do when you're sitting at home. You don't get the zoom-in opportunities like you do when you're at home. So there are advantages and disadvantages to both. When you're at the stadium, uh, it's not as comfortable, obviously, even if you have seatbacks. I have that, and it's great. But really, actually, the seatbacks, they're not all that comfortable. Really, the only reason that my wife and I get seatbacks is to protect our butt space so no one that's sitting next to us around us encroaches on that. Uh, that's really the major benefit there. But, you know, the bathroom situation, I don't get concessions at the stadium. I don't understand really people that do because it just it costs so much money. I don't know why you can't get something before you come to the stadium. But, hey, everybody do your own thing. It's just not for me. But it, it's just not your home. When you're at home, you got your own bathrooms. you got your own food. doesn't really cost you anything after you bought it from the grocery store. you got your own drinks. What are you going to lounge about on your couch if you want? You get up, move around, pause, all that stuff. So it's just more comfortable and more convenient. But uh, in terms of actually taking in a game and really seeing the full picture of what's happening in that game, I still do personally prefer being in the stadium and ideally, if possible, 
sitting in an end zone angle. Actually, believe it or not, the upper level end zone is a better place to sit because you have more of a bird's eye view. You can see everything develop a little bit better. Uh, and I've sat in lower level end zone and upper level end zone, and I actually think you have a better view in the upper level end zone, which again, I know that sounds blasphemous to a lot of people, but uh, it works well for me. But anyway, that's just a personal preference, and everybody has their own preference, which is what makes this world go around. But uh, that does it for us today on the Glory UGA podcast. We really appreciate each and every one of you taking time to support our show here. We cannot thank you guys enough. We're really excited to be partnered with Overtime Media, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. It would not have ever happened if it was not for all of you guys supporting our show through the year, especially through this last tough year when V Sporto went under. So can't thank you guys enough. We really appreciate that. We will be back later on this week. We're going to try to get our picks show in, our picks of the week, even though we don't actually have a game this week. We still want to do our picks of the week. There's a lot of other SEC and national games to talk about. So we will be back later in the week for that. So make sure to check in. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>